This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to episode 138 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to introduce you to a new sponsor that has come on board. This company is one that I stumbled upon right here in West Michigan when I was looking for a source to purchase cotton tea towels because I'm doing a lot of printmaking now. I'm actually going to be adding a Craft Sanity line of printed tea towels to my Etsy shop. So while I was out looking for a source, I was really happy to find ACS Home and Work which is a company right here in West Michigan. They're based in Coopersville. They've been around for about 10 years. They are affordable, so I could purchase a lot of tea towels and get printing. After working with their products for a little bit, the owner, Ted Parrish, and I got to talking, and he found out a little bit about what I do in the local craft community and my podcast. I'm going to be doing some YouTube videos showing you what I'm making with some of their products. The cool thing about this is that I found them as a customer first. You can go over and check out acshomeandwork.com, see what they have to offer. They have um, tea towels and so many other things for your home as well. So if you're looking for a blank slate to needlepoint, screen print, or do some printmaking on, this is a great source. And I'm also excited to show you guys what I've been making with all these tea towels. I'll be posting some Craft Sanity tea towels and some other vintage themed tea towels that I've designed with my sister Jackie. And my sister Julie might be getting involved with some of her designs as well. So we're going to be selling those tea towels online very soon. Check CraftSanity.com for links to my tea towels and also the blank slate of supplies over at ACS if you want to make your own. All right, so moving on to this week's podcast. This was a fun interview that I recorded during the AQS Quilt Show here in Grand Rapids. It's an annual event where quilters from far and wide migrate to West Michigan to converge at the convention center downtown and check out some cool quilts and just soak up all the goodies that the vendors have to offer when I walked into the show, well, actually, I didn't walk into the show. I'm still on that knee walker. And so when I wheeled into the show, I was really quite stunned by the size of one quilt in particular. And this was the Quilt of Belonging, which is a very impressive quilt that measures 120 feet long, and it's 10 and a half feet high. The quilt is the brainchild of Esther Bryan. She is an artist who lives in Canada, and she got the idea for this quilt after making a trip to Slovakia with her father in 1994. This quilt was stunning to see. It includes 263 blocks representing 70 Aboriginal groups and 193 immigrant nationalities that were represented in Canada as of July 1st, 2000, and every time you look at it, you see something different in this quilt. There's a companion book called Quilt of Belonging, The Invitation Project by Esther Bryan and Friends. It has photo of the block and bio information for each artist, a crafter that contributed to this quilt. We actually did the interview sitting right in front of it. There are points when the world is so crazy, but then you look at that quilt and think, geez, if people representing every single part of the globe 
if they can all collaborate and create something so beautiful, then maybe we can somehow someday achieve a more peaceful coexistence on this planet. This is a pretty incredible story. So grab your paper piecing, your knitting, whatever you're working on, and uh, a cup of tea and settle in to hear Esther's story. Well, Esther, it's an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you and sit right in front of this wonderful, inspiring quilt project that you brought to Grand Rapids, Michigan. So why don't you tell me a little bit about this Quilts of Belonging and how this project even came to be. I'm an artist, painting, drawing. I'm a pianist. So I am not a quilter. (laughs) So it is not a logical result of my being a quilter. But the project began in 1998, essentially after a visit to Slovakia with my dad. My dad was a Slovak refugee, and he escaped to Switzerland and then France and then was brought to the U.S. through Ellis Island. I studied here and then returned to France where I was born, and my parents were missionaries. He married my mom from Cleveland. So I'm one of those Heinz 57, as you can see already, a mixed, mixed bag. Because he was a pastor and he was working, it was always looking to the present, the needs that people had now and what was to come and providing for those things. And Dad said that the past was really not important. It was a closed chapter. So everything went along fine and we moved and moved and traveled and he did his job and I got married and had kids and did a gallery art career. And in um, 1994, Dad says, take me home. And I started to laugh. I said, home. I said, where's home? <laughs> he said, well, Slovakia, of course. I said, well, I didn't think that mattered. You said, well, it turns out after 43 years of not seeing his family, he couldn't go back. Oh, and, yeah. And, it, and he didn't have anything. That I went back with him. Mm-hmm. And all the things that he hadn't talked about came out. And with that I met a different man the father that I thought I knew that I struggled with sometimes because he had such high expectations and pressure to succeed and of course it all made sense then when I went back and saw the extreme poverty we had come from the impact of the war where my cousin who's my age had been raped and left for dead the family then didn't survive his imprisonment stories that I had absolutely no idea and then all of a sudden here he was wanting to recapture every memory, every place that he had walked, you know, the food, the music, the uh, every picture that we could find. And all of a sudden, for somebody for whom the past didn't matter, it, it did. And not only did it matter for him, but it impacted me. It impacted me and my relationship for him, but it also explained part of who I was that I didn't know about and didn't understand. Sure. And, I also had had trouble belonging everywhere. I thought it was because we moved so much, but there were other reasons and and things like that. It made me ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Well, who does that make me now? Am I Slovak? I never lived here. You know, I didn't know about this. I don't speak the language. All How the, old was he when he had to leave? He was his early twenties. Okay, so that's I mean, you're that's a good part of his life. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, and to leave all that behind must have yes, been very, and, and very it turned difficult. out his father had dreamt and waited to see his son again someday he died before we left there was a lot of emotion running very high mm-hmm. uh, of grief of anger of joy all mixed together yeah. and the things that people want to do in that time sometimes is is give gifts but they have very little 
they gave me fragments of fabric that had been embroidered because embroidery is huge in Slovakia. You can tell what region, what village people come from, what family in the village. You can tell wow. if their religion, whether Protestant or Lutheran or whatever. No, by, by the, the stitches? Or the... By the stitches, by the stitching and the, the patterns and... So there's a huge amount of identity. The men were going into the fields to work, and their pants were embroidered, even though they might get oh dirty. Wow! And so is that is that a way that they compensate for maybe not having money to have very fine things? I don't know. But they have and, this and it was embroidery. it was very much a, it became a cultural tradition of which you're very proud for folk dancing, but even for a dowry. And they said to me, "Well, a woman has to embroider seven tablecloths, and the women gather together to make the trousseau." It's changed now, of course, but that's part of who was there, and and these were the pieces. And uh, I looked at this, and it's largely untrained art. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's passed down from one to the other, and it individualized as people are. And I couldn't understand through all the terrible hardship because that was uh, first the Nazis, then the communists, and they and all that these people went through. They lived in abject fear all the time. And and that they would choose to embroider during that <laughs> was, well, a, was a real puzzle to did me. Did anyone t- explain that though? Did they do that just because it gave them something to take their mind off? Well, the and there was hope them? and something to live for, and there was still beauty and still color, and mm-hmm. and so all of these things, you know, these questions. I brought these fragments back, and from them, I made a one-woman show called Return, painting, drawing multimedia that incorporated some of those fragments that I'd been given and mm-hmm. questions and somehow when that show was opened um, by the Slovak okay. Embassy in Canada the oh, result was astounding I thought it was a very personal story and I didn't know if others would be interested I usually don't do that kind of art right. but what it did is the opposite in actual fact it brought a lot of emotion out and people just wanted to tell their stories they wanted to be heard they wanted to me to know who they were and what had happened to them I realized there was such a human need I could see this project, one in which there was a place for everyone. How do we live together when we're all so different? And we're born that way. Mm-hmm. We can't choose where we live. As My father got to live in the U.S. and different places. His family never got out. The rest, you know. Right. What if I had been that girl that was left behind? Oh, wow. You yeah, know. things would be dramatically different. My oldest daughter's mentally challenged. She didn't choose that, you know. Right. What's her value as a human being? of these things next to eating food necessary for somebody's well-being in life they say is a sense of belonging and something I had to struggle with and my daughters had to struggle with my dad struggled with and so I decided to make this piece I felt I was meant to do this piece where it would show that there's a room for everyone in the spectrum of humanity in the spectrum of life I think we've lost the vision sometimes of what it would look like because we only see people when they're in trouble and we form stereotypes that mm-hmm. are really oh, awkward so and unfortunate. That. And we don't know. And like my dad, I assumed I thought I knew him and then it wasn't until I heard his story that completely changed my perception of who he was. Mm-hmm. And, and then in turn, who you were. And for that, I was are. able to love him in a really new and fresh way and forgive anything that I didn't appreciate or, or struggle with before because right. it made sense this time and right. and so 
that began this project. So take me to the beginning of this project. You did your show when you came back, and the show opened when? What year was that? Would that be a year later or right away? Oh, probably about, took me about two years to put that together, maybe 96. Where did you do the show again? It was in Cornwall, Ontario. Okay. And is that where you live? Is that uh, Nearby. Okay. Nearby. It's between Ottawa and Montreal. Okay. For a year, I could see this in my mind, but I was scared off by the enormity, and I thought, should I really, should I not? And then I, I decided to step out in faith and begin because I knew that that's what I mm-hmm. was meant to do. It took six and a half years to complete. The way of portraying all of humanity was to use the color work from the light spectrum, to use the shape of the carbon molecule, which is the hexagon. And the lar- strongest structure in nature is, is the beehive formed by all those hexagons. So there's a lot of layered symbolism. And the best way that I could think of to show everyone was to do a portrait of the human family. So went through the immigration records in Canada, found out that in Canada, just as in the States, there was at least one person from every country of the world at the dawn of the new millennium of January 1st of 2000. So that was a good place to start. Sure. So we are all of this. It's not someone over there that we can ignore, sort of think oh, that's the people that, you These know. These people are our neighbors. We're they are our neighbors. Together, our yes. kids go to school with them. Right. We're colleagues. We are all work. So, yes. So we do have to learn about them and, and learn to care for one another and find a way to live together without removing somebody's identity. We had learned from communism and other experiments like that, that when you try and make everybody the same and remove that identity, it doesn't work. It's no. a disaster. It's also an equal disaster when you have people do whatever they want to do without any restrictions and a free-for-all. Right, right. So there's a balance between my space and what impacts you. We have to be connected, and yet we also have to retain our individuality. So then what we've done is we had the First Nations, our First Peoples of Canada, which are all our Aboriginal people. That's that's what we call them, Mm -hmm. First First Peoples, and that includes all the Inuit, or Eskimo, mm-hmm. um, Métis, and all our First Nations. And so we put them on the founding row and gave them back their language. You'll notice that all their names are in English and in the native language, mm-hmm. which is really important because we took that from them. Part of the hardest job in this project was getting the participation of all our First Peoples because we worked hard to exterminate in many cases and we did a lot of things that were really wrong and so we had to acknowledge that role. How did you go about doing that? Oh, there's a number of different ways. First of all, listening. We have told their story in the past and Mm -hmm. it's not been what they wanted to say and by a lot of time spent by a lot of care and a lot of love given and to say and reassure that we were going to listen this time and we did and when they said you know hey I was put in a residential school do you want to see it we went and Mm -hmm. when they said you know you did this to listen yes I think it's terrible too I'm really sorry about that and to listen and to appreciate and honestly that was not hard to do because they make beautiful things Oh, they yeah. have great values. They have all kinds of things that we could really benefit from learning. Their love of the environment and nature, the care that's taken with mm-hmm. that, and their respect. Wow, we need that right now. Right, we sure and do. And so, and and on and on. And so, as the more we worked with them, the more that we genuinely 
developed kind of an awe and, a, and a, just a real love for them. And there were genuine friendships made. You can't ask somebody, go make a block, right. whether it's a First Nation or somebody who's just come from Somalia and a refugee and say, give me a block, goodbye. Right. You actually have to take the time to listen, answer questions, help, mm-hmm. um, maybe help financially, help in, in other ways. These people come with nothing. They have no jobs. Maybe it's looking through family photos and hearing the story. Right. Whatever. So did you have a place for this when that part of it, when you started with the first row, did you, were you working out of your home? I mean, what, how did that? that? I was working in the township office. Okay. I had gone to the township office, which had recently been vacated because it was amalgamated with the next town or mm-hmm. administration. And I asked them so if they would let me have it, but I had no money. I asked them if they could let me have it to do this project. And surprisingly, they said yes. There were utilities to pay, which added up to a considerable amount. But but we did, and that gave us... How a big com- is this building? Like, is it oh, about 6,000 square feet. Oh, my goodness. Very <laughs> yes. large. Yes. In different offices and, and, and rooms. Um, I never saw the project altogether till it opened at the Canadian Museum of Civilization because I didn't know where to put it all together. <laughs> <laughs> it was in sections. Because this is how many feet? Is 120. This? 120 feet. <laughs> and there and was no room to hold what is the other dimension? So it's 120 it's ten, feet long. And it's 10 and a half feet high. It didn't okay. have the height either. An office is not 10 and a half feet high. Oh, my. No. So... So, um, I, but I had made a, a model, and I kept track of the colors and, and who was who. But just the administrative side of doing this project was huge. And then, so the first row is all the, the founding nations, but then the next three rows are every country of the world, because we have somebody. But to find everybody, not everybody has an embassy or an association. Right. Or sometimes there's only one or two people across the whole country. And because of privacy laws, nobody tells you who they are. Right. So it just was an enormous job to try and find people. And when you found them, to get them to participate. You know, the man from uh, Vanuatu, you know, said, I don't have, you know, I, I want to make sure we're here. Nobody knows or has heard about us, don't know where we are. But he made it from his grass skirt because... That was his fiber and, wow. and his cultural symbol and things like that. So, you know, there's everything from miniature carpet and and weaving and gold work and mud cloth and butterfly wings and silk painting and everything you can think of, every kind of technique people use, what means something to them. I can't dictate to them, oh, yes, tell me your story in textile oh, and it has to be quilting right right <laughs> so the first thing they would say when you would think i'm making this large quilt, we don't quilt you know it's like well what do you do well we make felt for our mongolian yurts okay a piece of that will work you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever you know so what would you like what can we do to show you know to talk about you and then we would also do the story in writing so we have a book in which we have put all of those stories so that so each group or individual that made contributed a block is represented in your book absolutely okay absolutely and did you start did you decide you want to document in book form right from the beginning or is this something that happened as the project took on a life well it wasn't too long along the project that we realized that people had amazing stories to tell and not only that but you needed to be able to look and ask you know so why did they put that shape in there what does this lady dancing what does it represent Mm -hmm. or or what is that circle with this these symbols inside 
what is this all about? And it only made sense when you began to hear and, and listen to what it represented and, and who it was. In order for it to touch people, it has to become per. On, you have to. It has to reach you on a personal level. Sure so does. we need those personal stories. Right. And especially then, in, people wanted us to know who they were, what's important to them, what they have to offer. I found it very interesting because, as you can imagine, I worked with a number of countries that are, are at war, and some of them we are at war with, right? Iraq and things right. like, during the you know the Gulf War and things like that. But not one person in this or group represented anything that was warlike. They all were so anxious for people to know that they were basically peaceful, loving, nice right. people right. with who loved their family and their land and had beautiful history. And it was interesting to see they were so eager to undo the often negative stereotypes that they that they'd been given. Right. Well, that's and that's such a beautiful thing to remind people of because I think sometimes when people turn on their their evening news, the worldview that is presented is much different than the worldview you're presenting here today. Yeah. And um, you know, these are you know we're not responsible as individuals with what our governments do. You know what I mean? There's a lot of there's a lot of disagreements that happen at a level that's so much higher than yeah. the general population. Well, and we often think that that the the problems of the world are going to be solved by by politicians but it's going to be solved by you and I so when you started to recruit people did you have the plan in your head from the beginning like okay I'm going to have this giant I mean was it that big at the beginning or did it grow as time went on it was big okay it was the original people often ask me did it just kind of evolve to get bigger and bigger but no and that's why it was so a little bit afraid to jump in at first and to go ahead I knew it was going to be huge and the reason is is because if you decide to do a family portrait globally of the world oh yeah it's 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 not going to be small Mm -hmm. and I mean each block is what 16 by 18 and the center port that they did is 11 inch um, diamond it's about as small as you can get and still put something in it something in it (laughs) that's worthwhile and yet you begin to add those together and it doesn't take much much mathematics to figure out it very quickly hey wait a minute we're over 100 feet here you know right (laughs) it's not something you can choose to do well i'll do for me it wasn't you typically do a quilt like this and you always get the popular ones there'll always be a a Scottish one and a German and a Dutch and you know and we're very comfortable you know with that kind of Spanish or whatever but that is always then the one who are the largest most assimilated most powerful usually mm-hmm. things but what about the little guy and that sends a message too so I would never show the quilt I made that promise to myself until everyone was in it absolutely everyone and so how many countries do you have 192 and um, 70 uh, First Nations and so that is what made it difficult is that that you were looking for the the most obscure the smallest the least least visible the mm-hmm. the least well known because they all had to be there and over the years people from those places have come expecting not to be included and being really overwhelmed when they found even me you mean you right. knew who i was but Which we had a world a map up thing. there we'd gone to united nations to find out who who was the nation and a territory and what where they 
what they were. So what was the criteria? They had to be a territory or a... A nation. A nation. nation. I would put all of the nations as listed in and accepted in officially by the United Nations okay. in, in the January 1st of 2000, of the year 2000, but territories could also, uh, if they chose to, that part was optional okay. because you had technically Scotland and even Northern Ireland are not countries or Wales. Well, they are very much strong cultural identities. Oh, yes. You know, you can't leave them out. They're, you can't just say, well, you're part of the UK or something, you right. know. Right, so you did, you, it sounds like you made a great effort to make sure everyone... We'd rather have, put them, uh, you know, and, and rather err on this side of having too many than too, too little so that everybody would be included. So when these blacks started coming in, and you had the, the diamonds, they started with diamonds, and they started coming in, um, you, you definitely had the, the rainbow color spectrum going on here, and did you kind of look at the black and try to match a color background, or how did you, because some of them look like they um, ha- are pulling a lot of color from the background, and others look like they could go a variety of places in this well, piece. I often get asked that question, did I put them alphabetically, what did I do? I did the color work so that it would be an even movement across the spectrum of light. Okay. So that that would represent the spectrum of humanity. So I, that is the glue that kind of, in a way, holds it together, unifies it, because there's an awful lot of variety, and it could look like a mishmash. Mm-hmm. Now, when the blocks came in, very often, most often, people had a specific color. Mm-hmm. The Chinese said, you know, well red it has to be red you can't stick me on purple you know <laughs> it doesn't it's not our color and so people have colors finland is blue and and um, you know angola is yellow those are their national colors that would mean something to them right so we tried to fit them in that section mm-hmm. and so what we did is just try to fit people in where they could now it sometimes meant moving a little and then for those for whom there wasn't necessarily a color then we used them as the in between or the, okay. the colors that that were left but it was very tricky to get it to all work out well, as you can imagine like this would be very difficult given that you were in a, you weren't in a space large enough to ever put the whole thing together <laughs> in one spot this is a rather impressive feat that you got it to look so good together without ever really seeing it. Now, I understand this is in sections, though. Yes, it is. How many sections do you have? Eight sections? Okay. Did you divide those by color? But you cannot find those joints very easily. No, you can't. And there are no horizontal or vertical seams anywhere in that quilt. Wow. Okay. They are all hexagonally shaped, and especially we didn't want anything, um, all the panels go top to bottom because that would make a weak spot, you know, where where the stitching with the weight of, say, a heavy beaded piece on the bottom could eventually pull. Right, right. So you had to do think of everything here. So and we engineered very carefully. We looked at the fabric, the threads, how strong they were. It's not cotton carrying this. It's a specially engineered fabric. Oh, and wow. it's actually used for parkas in the Arctic. Oh, wow. So it's densely woven, thin, but densely woven. Well, Is that the black in between? Yes, the black. Okay. Um, it's densely woven, so you you know it can't let the wind through, and and it doesn't let the light through. But it's just it's 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 really tough. So you know we can still quilt it, and it's hand quilted, but it will hold it without fading, without stretching. 
Okay, so it's going to you know, last the test of time. Right? Yes, it's waterproof, all the wow. rest of it, you know, so it's very good, and it will carry that weight. So you mentioned at the beginning of this that you were not a quilter. No, and the quilter had a, quilter a hard time. Now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still painting and drawing and yeah. making fiber art and So sculpture. how did you manage to pull this off then? How, who, well, in who, a sense, it was an advantage. Well, there's lots of people who are quilters, yeah. and so if we needed a quilted part, some of the quilters pitched in, and if we needed embroidering of all the names, myself and somebody else might do that. That's and, awesome. And if, so if we needed woodwork or uh, somebody else did that, you know, or the bronze work or the goldsmithing, because those, all those things are in here, you know. How yeah. did you get the word out about what you were doing? Oh, we went everywhere. Yeah. Restaurants, immigration centers, university student centers embassies but we had an ambassador retired ambassador helping us we had to know the politics before we can approach an embassy they might be a hostile regime the people might be refugees from that here right 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 so you have to be really know you had sudan who was north and south at war you know you cannot go through the embassy you know there's a lot of issues to deal with right you have to be really careful who you went with and where you did and so research and (laughs) we just kept going on the media uh, newspapers um ethnic councils, uh, anywhere we could think of. I, I had a volunteer who was coordinating the African, and she got so frustrated sometimes trying to find people from obscure African countries that she would stand on the street in capital and stop black people on the road. She could sort of tell if they were east, west, or south, and they would say, are you from such and such? They said, no, we're from Ethiopia. Well, we've already got you. Have you got a friend who's from, you know, <laughs> we just want to die. But she was very... Oh, so she just kind of thought, I'm taking this to the streets. <laughs> I'm asking anyone I see. So, you know, where did she say, well, maybe you've got a friend. Well, he sits in a mosque. I'll sit through the mosque service, and we did, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, wow. yes. All over, anywhere and everywhere. If you just had to estimate, how many people had oh, a hand in this? A hand in this, hundreds and hundreds. Oh, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. Because you have to count all the people who did all the other things besides... Right, like helping you find the people. And, and besides the stitching and the legal work, the right. research, the administration. I mean, it took a lot, a lot of pieces. So this was to started in... 1998. Okay, and it was completed in... It opened at the Canadian Museum of Civilization in April 2005. Okay. And it's been on tour since then. Wow, and that's a good long time. Yes, it is. You're going on 10 years. Are you doing anything for the 10th anniversary of this piece? That's a good question. What a good idea. Yeah, no, it seems to me that there should be some celebration of some kind. (laughs) Um, Is there going to be a a permanent home? Yes, eventually, but we're not there yet. Okay, you're just going to keep going with it. So how many copies of your book are in circulation? I don't know because we're just going into the fourth printing. Okay. So it, in actual fact, in, at least in Canada, it has become a bestseller. Oh, awesome. And then we have a children's book, and then we have now a documentary. Uh, about a year and a half ago, a documentary was filmed on it and produced. And we have education materials for schools because it's in the school curriculum. Now tell me about that. How has this been worked into the school curriculum in Canada? Well... First of all, most of the school, all the major publishers for school textbooks have been putting units on it because it's a great way to study, say, First Nation studies, Native Mm -hmm. studies. It's a good way to study geography or history or social studies or even art because there's so many different kinds of art in it. So there's also great need in the schools. We worked with educators, and they seem to have 
a real concern. There's issues of bullying, which oh, yeah. we become That's very conscious of. Big problem. Um, and of cultural diversity, especially in the big cities. You know, mm-hmm. they're coming in from everywhere. Right. And they're having to deal with those issues. How do we put them together? And we're having problems in the school. Sometimes there's a school quilt of belonging that they can do. There's different projects. There's one called Together We Are One. There are exercises. There are touchable blocks where they can feel and learn and hear the stories from other cultures and explore the part it's played in our own history. What did the Chinese bring to the United States? Mm-hmm. What role did they play? You know, mm-hmm. where do slaves come from? What part did wool did? You know, what part did wool play in the Industrial Revolution? Where does wool come from? If they're in kindergarten, you know, they may not know it comes from sheep. Right. But they may also not know the history and its implications, say, of the fur trade or of the Silk Road or something like right. that when it gets into the high school levels. And so we have all kinds of different studies and games and activities for teachers to use classroom-ready activities. That's that really lovely. Really is, is that expanding to the United States at all? We have some of those materials. I just sent off a package to Brazil because we had requests in there. So. No, I think it's a wonderful way to visually get students to think about these connections we have and, and also what various cultures bring to the table as far as talent and the wonderful abilities. I mean, looking at this quilt, there's so many really detailed And so the students can study these things, and yes. then, very often we, then very often it culminates with um, the child, uh, the student actually doing their own piece and telling telling their own stories, either visually or in writing, and and having to think, you know, who am I? You know, what do I bring to the table? And things like that, put them together, big school celebration, and, you know, so it's not something we went looking for. It came to us. It seemed like a natural way because there is concern about teaching our next generation. They will determine the kind of world we have. What do you have to say when you reflect back where you thought you'd be and where you are. I could never have imagined in my wildest dreams the journey that this has all been and the privilege that it has all been for me. I have to say God knows best (laughs) and plan. And and so you just have to do the best that you can today. But I think if there's one other message that comes, because it's a small town and very often when we're faced with a million people starving and, mm-hmm. and war that's bigger than you and I can ever fix. And, right. and it's tendency to just kind of wither up a little bit and say, what can I do? It's not going to make a difference. And I think there's something, a strong message in the fact that somebody who is not famous, like I'm not famous, or a small village can actually do something that can have an impact is a reminder that, yes, every single person can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And change will come from the bottom up, not the other way around. Right. It'll come because of the way you and I live our lives and the things that we do and how we treat people one at a time. Mm-hmm. We can make a difference. I have one wonderful story to share with you about that. And the block was being made from El Salvador, and Marta and her sister had been uh, social workers in El Salvador during the Civil War, and they were captured and tortured because they were trying to help poor women as social workers. Normally, when somebody was captured in El Salvador, they disappeared, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. They were never heard of from again. They did not survive. But a pastor, a priest of some kind in a church in Montreal 
heard about her imprisonment. And the church congregation members, just small congregation, wrote letters to free her. The fact that people knew, they eventually released her. And she had to flee. Right. And she ended up in Montreal, and that pastor brought her to the church, and she told them, you may not think that there's anything you can do, but a letter can save a life. I just want to take a, a brief moment to interrupt here for a second and let you folks know that Esther and I were sitting in front of the quilt when we did this interview. Occasionally, people were coming up to get a copy of her book signed. You're going to hear a third voice, and this was someone who was getting their book signed, and the question kind of just led naturally back into the interview. This project is just amazing. And I, I was just saying, every square is done beautifully. You know, you don't have somebody's good intentions, but not well done. They're all executed beautifully. It's so interesting when I hear that, my heart just rejoices because mm-hmm. there are some that are primitive and there are some that are very precise and very complex. And yet they have each their own beauty in their own way. One of the squares came in, and it was slightly askew, and there was a bead stuck in the middle of nowhere, and I was going to pick it off because it was an obvious mistake. And then it came to me, the Bhagavad said, no. They said, we always put a deliberate mistake. They said, only the creator is perfect, and it's a reminder that the rest of us are flawed and <laughs> I thought, what a good lesson to learn. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So is this something that when you take this down uh, in between exhibitions, where does this live? Does it live in your town hall, the former town no, hall? No, it doesn't. It actually lives in a sonar company. <laughs> in a what company? Sonar company. Really? Oh, my goodness. Which is kind of funny, but... In That's a very practical space. way, because one of the uh, members of the board is president of a company that designs sonar equipment. So, say for the armed forces or for underwater, okay, you know, exploration or whatever. And so he has a secure facility that's climate controlled, has a loading dock, and has some space. So there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You work with what you have, yeah, which you can Makes get. Makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> it, is this become like a full-time job for you now? It was a full-time job for many years. Mm-hmm. I'm back doing my own studio work okay. part-time. So what are I'm you trying doing? to juggle <laughs> painting and drawing, fiber art, I, collaborative sculpture, with my husband who's a woodcarver I do okay. the, the design and clay maquettes that he that he sculpts in, in wood and oh awesome but whatever liturgical art um, but I'm also grandmother I want to thoroughly enjoy my grandkids my parents are not doing well and need time with them right so you kind of are in a different phase of life than you were at the beginning of this whole well you just try and fit it all in the right. best you can right? right right and people and friends are still the most important thing so sure. you don't let the get the job get ahead of that it sounds like you have enough people involved to kind of keep this effort going well yes and no but we're always we're always struggling and and it seems that's the reality of something like this but it's worth it where do you hope this eventually goes do you have an idea of what you'd really like to see happen to this after you stop traveling with we would like it to have a good permanent home where it's accessible but to be truthful it has far exceeded what we ever could imagine in and I'm already very happy with that. Right. So that anything on top of this is just going to be icing on the cake, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Was there anything particularly surprising 
that happened as a result of this? I mean, cause it sounds like you're kind of amazed to be here. I mean, just it's always a kind of pinch me attitude. Right. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling sometimes that I can't believe that all this has happened. It's it's really quite wonderful. Do you plan to do something this big again? You know, it it was never about the size. If God put on my heart that something there was a need, mm-hmm. that something was needed, I would do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would do something else. But I'm not going to just pick another project. It's not just for the size or size and then of sort it. of top this one. You know, right. I don't feel the need to do that. And if I had done it for that in the first place, I truly believe it never would have worked. I think there's probably a because lot of because I to think that. people are pretty smart and they know oh, yeah. when you're doing it and why and whether it's genuine or right. not. And this, we really did believe and still really do believe that it needed to be done mm-hmm. and that our world needs this message there's yes. a place for all mm-hmm. period and we have got to find a way to live together right we absolutely do well i think you've done a wonderful thing for people around the world who can look at this appreciate it it's educational it's beautiful and very inspiring so congratulations to you well thank you you've, you've pulled this off in a very major way this is wonderful is there a significance to the tassels i didn't ask you about that they just kind of finish okay the tassels so you have finish, the but they're all individually made they're all different i noticed that <laughs> did you make those or did you have oh all of us made it people made different ones and how many are there there, look there like are this. 70 oh wow that's a lot of tassels <laughs> oh my some are beaded some are ribbon some are braided and they're not just made of wool they're made of cording and embroidery floss and fabric and felt and whatever works. Are they crocheted around the top or is that um, something that's... Well, uh, sort of. They okay. are and they have other stuff too. Oh, yeah. okay. So it kind of just depends on who's you know, making they it. Let people try. Yeah. <laughs> Let's that's see really, what they can do. That's great. Well, it's uh, it's very beautiful and, and I think that it, it's um, a rare thing for a person to create a piece that would draw people in this way and also have this very peaceful message so it's accomplishing so many things on so many levels so i'm it's a pleasure to have gotten to talk to you and see this myself thank you i i hope that people will just carry the vision in their mind if nothing else and the things i once saw and and that's what i want to walk towards Mm -hmm. that's the way i want to to live where is this piece headed next it's headed to the dibayu majig Creation Center on Manitoulin Island. It's in Ojibwe. Oh, wow. It's where the, we're going to the Ojibwe. Oh, wow. So and when will that happen? In three weeks. In th- oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're, you don't really get a break. Um, how far the break you, comes after. Yeah, really. How far have you traveled with this? Oh, my. How many countries have you? You, just, you said it's the United it's States. It's Indian and Canada. Mostly we, our overseas travels have not worked out recently because of just complications with complications that have arisen either politically or financially with the the host right but i'm assuming this is a huge undertaking to move this not not really really. no we can take it up and put it down in four hours okay that's not too terrible yeah you've got it down now after all these years (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your story i appreciate it Well, I'm really glad I was able to snag a face-to-face interview with Esther during the quilt show because I left feeling quite inspired. And I think that one of the great things about what she's doing and one of the lasting lessons and takeaways from this story is that one person can do something pretty phenomenal. And obviously she had plenty of helpers and she never takes all the credit for this quilt, but she was able to kind of organize and get people to rally around this project and to believe in it and see it through. And that's just awesome. So congrats, Esther. 
To find out more about Esther Bryan and her book, and there's a DVD out, I'll have links to her website so you can find out more about The Quilt of Belonging and where you might be able to see it next. Thanks to my Patreon supporters and ACS for sponsoring this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I will be back next week with another show. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Thank you.